Welcome back to another episode of School of Science Radio Podcast. I'm Gino Ganello, once again joined by Matthew Chandler, and this week joined by another uh, RBM uh, faithful and another another part of our crew here, Thomas Mallows. Thomas, how are you doing today, man? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Obviously, the, uh, the result wasn't great last night. We'll go into that in a bit, but I can't complain too much. Yeah, going so good to be on. Good to be back. Yeah, no, it's great to have you, Matt. How are you doing? Similar situation, I think, to all of us? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, apart from last night, yeah. Um, it's kind of weird for me because it's my, my birthday this weekend and I've been used to having no sort of Everton distractions or sort of ruined by Everton. And this week we've got three Everton games in a week, haven't we? So, but, so we all know what's going to happen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I got it out of my system pretty quickly. I went for a run this morning and probably ran more than Guilfi Sigurdsson ran last night. So, <laughs> um, yeah, not too bad. Weather's still pretty crap, though, isn't it? But yeah, no, here it's, it's not great here either. I think it's supposed to rain by me for like the next like week and a half. So it's just going to be constant doom and gloom. And Everton isn't helping that. Uh, we'll get into that game right now. Their game, obviously, against Spurs. Uh, time of recording, we're recording the day after the game on, on Tuesday, um, July 7th. Um, obviously, Everton lost one nothing. Uh, it was a tough game to watch by all accounts, I think, if you were an Everton fan. But let's start off with the um, starting lineup and who was how, or how Ancelotti set the team up. There was one change. Uh, Anthony Gordon uh, was taken out of the starting uh, 11 and Tom Davies put in. Sigurdsson looked like he was moved to the left wing. Tom, we'll start with you. Did Ancelotti get it wrong? What was your opinion on the uh, the starting 11 for this game? I don't think Ancelotti got it wrong. I just He's got so few options at the moment. I can see the sense in resting Gordon, even though I thought he played really well the other night. I wonder whether he might then come into the team for the Southampton game. So I can see why he dropped out. But with so many midfielders injured, I, I just and he's, he's, he's tried and trusted 4-4-2 formation. I, I can't really have any complaints with the, um, the starting line. He's just got to try and mix and match as best as he can and hope one of the combinations work between now and the end of the season. But as we saw last night, it, it, it didn't. He's, he's made us tough to beat. We're, you know, defensively, we are tough to break down. Uh, but that midfield is a problem, and there's not much you can do until the end of the season. Matthew, how about you? Um, I understand. I agree with Tom. I wasn't massively surprised that he dropped Gordon uh, just because of the of the game. Uh, maybe if it was, say, if we played Norwich yesterday, then maybe after Gordon's performance on Wednesday, he might have stuck him. But kind of a more, uh, I guess, aggressive team like Tottenham. Um, it's maybe not the game that you want to sort of rely on a 19-year-old kid to get you out of a hole. Um, but I think my, pro- my problem with the team was just, I don't, um, I, don't really, I don't really want to go on about Guilfi Sigurds and Lewis because I've kind of done it to death now and I think everyone can see that he's certainly on the, on the decline. But I don't, I don't see what Ancelotti sees in him as a winger. Like I mean, I'm, I know on the on the Slack channel yesterday, I think Chris was saying that um, Chris from Royal Blue Mercy was saying that he gives a more defensive work rate than maybe Bernard does or um, someone like a Wobi or Gordon. But I didn't, I didn't even think he did that really particularly well yesterday. Um, as well as the fact that he doesn't have 
he doesn't have the legs to play on the wing, I don't think, anymore. And, you know, he's played there twice as well before under Ancelotti, um, one of which was that Chelsea game when we got thumped. So just, I didn't really see the logic in that. Um, but I do agree, like Tom said, we're so threadbare at the moment, especially in that part of the pitch, that I, I kind of I have a hard time blaming Ancelotti because um, there's so little that he can do with that squad. Um, but at the same time, there were more natural fits, I would suggest, than Sigurdsson on the wing yesterday. Yeah, and we'll get into you know Ancelotti and and how I guess some may perceive him and how we perceive him um, after this recent defeat. But let's get into you know some of the performances in the game. Obviously, not a great overall match. But um, Tom, were there any people who stood out to you? Give me you know a couple players who who stood out and a couple players who were particularly bad for you in this one. Well, I'll start standing out because that's not going to be a long list. Um, I thought I thought the defence looked reasonably solid. I thought Seamus Coleman did okay. Um, Anthony Gordon, when he came on the second half, at least you know got a few tackles in and showed some willingness. Um, other than that, I'm struggling to be honest. It was just a really flat, flat for performance. Um, looking at where he struggles is. Uh, Matt's uh, picked up on Sigerson just offered very little in the position. I, th- I think you're right, he's probably brought in defensively, defensively to do that work, but he wasn't offering anything. Um, the least you expect with Sigerson or any player is to at least put the effort in and try and try and tackle. <laughs> he didn't seem to put and I always think back to the, the Chelsea game under Ferguson just after the uh, after Silver had been sacked and Sigerson was everywhere that day. He was, you know, so even if he's got limitations, struggles to fit into a 4 4 2, at least he can try and contribute that. Tom Davis, again, average. I think he's, he's probably played worse. Um, he at least tried a couple, couple of, of moves, but didn't quite work. Andre Gomez, I thought one of the worst games I've seen him play. It just wasn't working. Um, he's constantly um, fouling. His passing wasn't working. He just really struggled. Uh, and then Awobi again. I, I'm not sure what his best position is. I don't think it works in a 4-4-2. Um, Richarlison, Dominic Calvert-Lewin just were isolated. Um, again, didn't offer much. Richarlison looked tired as well. So, yeah, there, there wasn't really much for me to, to um, write home about. But also, I don't think it told us anything new. I think all the faults in the team that we already knew about, it was just a very flat performance. Um, I don't know if you heard Gino Gary Neville. He was co-commentating on Sky. He was just... He summed it up and he just said, you just wanted to shake the players and just like jolt them into action. At the very least, just give a bit of energy. You know, I felt that Spurs team was there for the taking and they just, just didn't seem to even try things either, um, which that was the most disappointing. It was just really flat and just didn't, didn't, didn't offer anything. I would, I, would, I would agree. Um, just on, on uh, Gomez, um, I said last night, I don't, I don't particularly enjoy watching Gomez anymore. Mainly because of how, I mean, Gomez did not get, I, I can't remember off the top of my head how many assists he got, I think he got one goal last year, mm-hmm. but we just seemed a more well-rounded team when he was in the midfield next to Gay, and obviously Gay's gone as well, it's a massive loss. Yeah, yeah and I but think... He that... just looks so, he just looks, and I don't know whether it's he's playing too many games too soon after the injury, or it's still the injury himself, and he's kind of 
you were saying about Oviedo and Coleman and players like that who naturally sort of retreat and go into play within themselves a bit after serious injury. Um, or, you know, whether he's just not suited to playing this system that Ancelotti wants to play particularly well. Um, but I don't know, he just looks lost. And I don't, he doesn't look like, you know, the play. I think I saw a start last night, he didn't, gave away four fouls, he didn't win any tackles or something. And that's not Gomez's natural game, but then, like Tom was saying about Sigurdsson, you still expect him to, I guess, put a shift in or try and, I'm not saying he wasn't trying, I don't think he was as, as guilty as that or someone like Sigurdsson was. But I'm struggling to see at the moment with Gomez what he offers Everton in midfield. Yeah, I think, um, and you made the point about Gay. I think I saw that on Twitter as well, where, you know, him not playing next to someone like Gay, who's very high intensity, very, you know, the guy who's pushing up, pressing, getting into those tackles, doesn't really allow him to play that deep-lying midfield role. Um, But also, like, uh, Tom, I think you mentioned it, the passing from Gomesh was like, it, it was, it felt every time we were in a position where we could move forward, counterattack, get into the, the final third, Felt like he had the ball and he was whipping in passes and they were just like to the left, like not on somebody's foot. It, it wasn't, it wasn't accurate at all. It felt like, and it felt like um, that was like a huge part of the reason why we couldn't get any, anything going. And Matthew, you're right. It's hard to watch him now. Cause he was, he was doing a lot of that stuff last year. Um, you know, he was doing a lot of these things where, you know, you could, you know, except the fact that maybe he's not as active defensively because at least offensively he's offering something. Um, but I feel like, especially yesterday, he did not do, um, didn't really do much of that. Uh, in, and granted he wasn't the only player, but for me, he I think was, the problem uh, is, sorry. Yeah. I, was just, I think the problem is that he is um, maybe too slow. The, the speed of the Premier League is probably too fast for him. I think for his style of play. I think maybe having a, a more more of a midfield three last that we had last year, and having a, someone who was you know as a lot quicker than him next to him and Gay to kind of mop up as well could kind of compensate for that for the most part. But we don't have either of those things now, and I think I just feel coupled with the fact that he's having to play a lot of football, having just come back from a yeah. really nasty injury. I think he just uh, he looks kind of overworked and. Looks like he's suffering at the moment. But then again, you know, who do we put in? I mean, Tom Davies hasn't pulled up any trees. Sigurdsson, obviously, who said dreadful last night. So I don't know. If, I don't know if we just going to have to stick it out with players like Gomez for the rest of the season. Um, but then, of course, you don't have a big break until the start of next season. So I do kind of worry that we won't see the best of him again now. Yeah, it's it, it's definitely. Tom, anything to add to that? No, I just I, I think you're right. With the way the season is going to end and roll into the next one, does Ancelotti not necessarily? He's never going to give up on this season. Obviously, yesterday, no big blow to our European hopes. But he's he's got to start with one eye next year. And as you say, yeah, Gomez has always seen better with either Gay alongside him or or in the midfield three. And the lack of pace is the big one as well. That's the problem with Sigurdsson. We've got no pace in that midfield at all. If you've got someone who can collect the ball and carry it forward and, and drag the whole team forward, and then all of a sudden Gomez can then pick up the ball in a much more dangerous area, and maybe that's when his passing range can come, come into it. But at the moment, we're so slow when we win back the ball. We're not transitioning quick enough. 
uh, and he say he just looks lost. But I, I, I can't see what other options he's got. I think he, he does. There is mitigation in, in that injury. Like I'm amazed he's playing at all. Um, when you saw that injury against Tottenham in November, I thought we wouldn't see him until, well, I suppose around about now. Anyway, you have the normal season has been. Um, so for him to come back is is um, impressive in itself. So I think he does get a, a bit of a pass in that respect. We've just got to hope that it is the lingering effects of the injury. And if we can get a, a more dynamic player alongside him, he can build up his fitness. And, and psychologically as well, I think you touched Matthew as well. I think Oviedo and Cole both said the psychological aspect of the injury as well. He's still playing with the handbrake on a little bit. Um, but it's worrying at the moment. I think lost, I think that's a good word. But I think he just looks a little bit lost at the moment. He certainly did last night. Yeah. I just think I think of like the Anfield derby last year when uh, Pickford uh, made that mistake at the end, and you know I have friends who are Liverpool fans who said, said to me afterwards how good they thought Gomez was that he's the best player on the pitch, and he even I so say even though he didn't he wasn't that sort of kind of driving midfielder who would set players up or or score a ton of goals, just kind of dictated the play a lot, didn't he? He doesn't seem to have done that yet, apart from maybe his first game back against Arsenal. Um, when I thought he was decent, um, just think, you know, I'm just kind of struggling to see what he offers Everton at the moment. And look, he's not like, you know, he's not someone I'm, I would say we have to get rid of or, you know, he shouldn't be sort of on, on the way out in the summer. I just think you need to either, well, I mean, I, you need to either find a system that suits him or help him adapt to that or if, he, if you don't think he can, then move him on then. But, um, Kind of worrying signs for Gomez, I think, at the moment. Yeah, you know, it's it's there's a lot I think needs to be figured out in the summer, especially with that midfield. Um, and we'll see how you know, obviously, very unusual summer this one will be uh, due to obviously COVID nineteen and and the effects of it. Um, but right now, frustration is you know a word that I think you could use to describe the feelings of of all Everton fans and and. Someone who seemed pretty frustrated last night during the Sky commentary uh, was Gary Neville. Uh, here's some of the things he had to say um, during the game last night. He said Sigurdsson was bugging him. He called him out repeatedly, including once in the first half for bottling out of a challenge. He said, I hope these Everton players get on the bus and are badly hurting and not just be happy about that they only lost one nothing. It's not good enough this it's boring if you can't call upon your fans at a football match. You have to look like you're desperate to change the momentum of the game. I've not seen any urgency at all. There's a little bit now. This was during the game, of course. Mina's making the maddest run forward I've ever seen to play center forward. That should have been 10 minutes ago. Uh, and in regards to Pickford aiming goal kick at injury time at Bernard, he said he hits Bernard. He's four foot six inches. He's the shortest player on the pitch. That about sums it up. Anything to disagree with there? <laughs> oh, it's refreshing to hear someone that honest about it. I mean, obviously, Gary Neville is not someone who has, I'd imagine, a particularly vested interest in Everton. Yeah, and it was just, I found it quite, <laughs> quite striking just how fed up he was, even without sort of being an Everton fan or anything, by Everton's performance. Um, but I think there's a lot there that you could show to Everton players and sort of, uh, you know, enlighten them with, because he's, I mean. He's had, I've heard him out of have a go at Sigurdsson in previous games and he's, and he'd be spot on about that challenge because that kind of summed up Sigurdsson's game now in the first half. I can't, I can't remember who the Tottenham player was, but it did look as if Sigurdsson just, as I say, bottled out of it. 
And then, yeah, I mean, Tim Cahill said that Tim Cahill's on Sky as well, and he said the same thing at half time about there's no urgency about Evan last night, or there's no real sort of drive to get back in the game. Um, the game's kind of ebbed away from Evan. And I'd say Tottenham were not by any means that much better than Evan. I mean, the goal kind of summed up the game, really, and how scrappy he was. Um, but Evan just didn't impose themselves enough on, on Tottenham. And I guess the thing with Gary Neville is obviously he does a lot of these games and he's probably seen this performance from Everton before as all Evertonians have. So, I mean, the fact that he hasn't seen any change is kind of, or we haven't seen any change in these is kind of, I guess, the real thing that gets you. I guess if it was a one-off, you kind of kind of let it slide a bit more. have seen this so many times from Everton now. That, um, I guess it's just like the consistency of it that's the most frustrating thing. Yeah, I mean, and, and, and especially in a game where, like you said, Matthew, you know, we probably, we easily could have won that game on our, uh, if we were playing well. Um, Tom, anything to add to that? Just to uh, echo the thoughts, I think, yeah, Neville got his his opinions spot on last night. I, I seem to remember it. He said something similar about Everton in a, when we lost to Villa last August near the famous, we beat Villa on the Friday, we go top. Oh, yeah. And he, <laughs> he, said, he said something like that, you know, whenever Everton, have a chance or you know that you want them to to actually yeah. take that extra step they never do it they always they always fail to to impress so it's already on his mind and he's probably you know eight nine ten months later seen exactly the same whenever they've won a couple of games a tough match where they can make real progress in the table and then they fail to turn up again so i think yeah the the pickford long kick to bernard just summed it up last night right at the end i was getting more and more frustrated and I just didn't know what Pickford was thinking. It just summed up the game. It was just complete lackadaisical by the end. But yeah, Neville is ex- exactly right. There's just no, there's no urgency about it, and um, it was just very tame. There was talk of you know changing the mentality and do these players um, just? I don't, I don't even know what it was. Whether they just, because I don't think it was, they kind of really froze. There's no fans there. They kind of being sort of intimidated by it. They just. Yeah, they just didn't want to impose themselves on the game. It's just all too soft at the end. Um, and yeah, I thought he actually got his, his punditry spot on last night. Um, rare, you're usually arguing with pundits, but they, yeah, you can't argue with anything he said. Yeah, no, definitely. I definitely agree with that. And just to add some context to how bad, I guess, Everton were last um, last night and I guess how, how bad both teams were, um, just take a look at the five telling stats that uh, Pete Reynolds wrote about yesterday's uh, defeat. First one, 0.91 expected goals. Uh, I believe that's combined between the two yeah. teams, which is the <laughs> second lowest expected goals of any Premier League game this season. Um, yeah. And if you watch the game, I mean, it's a, that's a pretty obvious stat just because of – I mean, it was – both sides were just so – and that's why I think most fans were frustrated was because both, not just Everton, Spurs didn't look that great either, and they just got the luck of the bounce there um, on that one goal. Um, six touches in Spurs area for Everton. Um, Gomes and Sigurdsson had three passes into the, to- into the final third combined during the whole entire game, which, again, adds to the lack of creativity and really lack of, uh, like you said, Tom, imposing themselves and trying to get the ball forward. Um, and, and making good passes in the ball forward. The one bright spot was Anthony Gordon, who who had a pretty decent game coming on, 
6.9% uh, pass accuracy, three tackles and interceptions, two key passes, two shots. Um, and then, of course, as it has been in recent memory, no wins in six years uh, to the uh, away to the big six. It's, it's tough to watch. And um, obviously, Carlo Ancelotti had some things to say after the match. Um, interested to see what you guys think of what he said. Um, my personal opinion, and, and we can get into maybe some of his more to directly mentioning some of the comments, felt like he could have been maybe a little bit harder. But then again, like you said, Matt, maybe it's because he doesn't really have much to work with. Um, and there's, you know, it's not real. <laughs> there's not real, uh, you know, he, he could get on the players, but these are the only players he has to work with. Nothing else he can really do. I think he's always been kind of diplomatic about pretty much every game since he's been at Everton, hasn't he? Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I was kind of surprised his comments a bit in terms of, I mean, he said we competed. I don't yeah. really think we did. Well, we did in terms of we didn't let Tottenham get away from us, but there was no real sense of us really trying to impose ourselves on Tottenham, I haven't thought. Um, but yeah, I mean, you said about wanting to use fresh legs, um, and you know, I can understand why he took players like Sigerton off. I can understand, I can understand why he took Alex Iwobi off as well, because Alex Iwobi just kind of fluctuates, doesn't he, between he's great at Norwich and he's kind of anonymous the last two games. But, um, I mean, I, as I said the five defeats we've had under Ancelotti have been all, all been away at five of the so-called big six. So, I mean, if he wants a sort of microcosm of what Everton are like and what their mentality is like, he's already got that. So, I guess in some ways it means he can always, we can start addressing that problem sooner, sooner rather than rather than later. But um, hasn't made for particularly enjoyable watching. It's not his fault. I don't blame him for any of the results really so far. Um, but you know, he's just been let down by pretty. Brittle bunch of players mentally, anyway. So, Tom? yeah, yeah, no, no, I agree. I think he's always uh, fairly gentle in press conferences, anyway. He's not really going to rant and rave. He's not that kind of guy. But also, he's probably thinking that it's counterproductive at the moment, anyway, because he's got so few options. There's no point going out and publicly slagging off the players. He's he's got what he's got until the end of the season. Um, so I think you're right, yeah, we didn't really compete yesterday. But then again, if you look at the positives, if it wasn't for that freak deflection, Spurs rarely threatened either. So if, and if we'd have drawn nil-nil, we would have said, well, it wasn't great, but we'll take a point. So I, I get the impression Ancelotti's he's, he's looked at what he can change uh, and try and fix, and that is making us tough to beat. He, we're much more organised at the back. We look much more threatening up front with two strikers up front with Calvert-Lewin and Richarlison. He knows the midfield is the weakest part and he's trying to mix and match while he can. And so I think that's, that has got, got his results. But when it comes to, say, the big matches where maybe you're going to have less of the ball, so you have to be more efficient when you do get it, that's where we, that's where we fall down. But that's been a long-term problem for the prevalence for a long time. So like you're right, Matthew, that it's, it wasn't an Ancelotti's, uh, on Ancelotti last night. Um, and I think he's right just to go gentle on the players between now and the end of the season because yeah. he's stuck with them regardless. He's got to try and get something out of them. I would say that I don't think he ever comes across as kind of having shirked responsibility for any results, though. Even though I don't think it, any results really on his head, 
I remember kind of the end of Marcus Silva, he kind of he kind of got the impression he was maybe throwing some of the players under the bus a bit. Mm. Kind of kind of came across as a bit desperate and sort of um kidding himself. And you know, Sam Allardyce definitely did that a lot in terms of absolving himself of any sort of blame. Yeah. Don't think Ancelotti's doing that, I just think um I just think saying we competed is maybe a bit of a stretch when we yeah that's so, the, so passive in the game. Yeah, that's where that's where I found um, I guess exception with it. I I, I thought um, you know we I, I don't think any Everton fan watching the the match and and maybe internally he doesn't believe that they competed in the game and maybe this is just you know again like Tom said and you know just to keep these players up and get them moving through the last five matches of the season and not get them down because there isn't much to work with and. And they're in a tough position right now. Before we move on to this, we're going to, we'll talk a little bit about Ancelotti and, and some comments made about him in the media. Um, yeah. But before we finish this game, talking about this game, does this officially, this loss, this defeat, just kind of end the dreams of Europe that maybe were alive going into this match? What is your guys' opinion on that? I don't think it's over because um... – Think five points off seven, which is still, you know, it's not an insurmountable gap with five games. It could be if it goes down to eight, if Man City's ban is upheld. Yeah, it's only a four point gap to bridge. And you know, apart from maybe Wolves away, fixtures we've got are not particularly uh, grueling. Um, you know, kind of win the games we should win and, and don't win the games we don't do. We but um, it's, it's certainly a blow, and also I think. I mean, Tom, I don't know what you think about this. We kind of talked about this before. And I know Pete from the site did a piece about this, about whether the Europa League football will be a good thing for Evan so soon with Ancelotti. Uh, yes, that is a tough one. I can, see, I can see why people say it's too many games. You probably need time to set the squad down. But at the same time, if you get the chance to play in Europe, I don't think you could ever mm. turn it down. For not just for playing reasons, but financial reasons as well. Given what's happened, the club will need the cash to help maybe bring some players in. So I'd never going to, and, and also as well, one of the arguments for not finishing seventh or eighth, as it might be, um, is the fact that the qualifying starts so early in the season. But given we're now running into back to back seasons, that starting early is sort of being taken out of the equation now. So starting earlier in the qualifiers is it's not going to be a huge issue so um i i'm definitely in favor of, of doing everything for um trying to get into europe i think we should be aiming for it every year um but say if we don't qualify then you know, you'd look at that the silver lining being you might have a little bit more time to to work with players and get things working and you know maybe try and get you push even higher in the table next year i don't know but um i think yeah we've got to try and push for it because i think a lot of the time with europa league as well is some would have a big enough squad. I think psychologically, some people sometimes people make it into a bigger deal than it actually is. If you're, you're savvy with your lineup, um, I don't think it's. But I think Wolves have shown this year um, they've coped, and they've, you know, Spirito Santo has never moaned about playing the extra games, playing the Sunday games. He's taken a positive attitude to it, and 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 it's worked. So um, yeah, we've got to go all out, try and get it. It's it's. Tough. We could probably only really afford to lose one more game, which, looking at the fixtures, would the obvious one would be Wolves on Sunday. Um, got to win the home games, 
and, and see where it's at. But it's not over. Yeah. Just for a bit of context, the um, I think if we if we took the last Europa League place, we would we would enter at the third qualifying round, um, which is uh, just single leg games next season because of the uh, the catch up. So they would be uh, the qualifying rounds sort of at the end of middle to end of September, which is kind of coincides with the start of the next season. Um, and then you've got a run of we got the playoff round, and then you've got a run of three consecutive Thursdays of playing the first three group games. Plus, I don't, plus, I don't know if you if they're going to do the EFL Cup next year, but that's another um, set of games for Everton. Plus, then the other sort of three or four group games. Um, so it's a lot of football, but I, I think the thing about Wolves is they kind of you're right. They've got they've Wolves have kind of embraced it and sort of feel kind of. There's a sense they feel really sort of privileged to be there, isn't it? Where it's just I don't get that impression from, or haven't got it from Everton in the past. Sometimes I think, and also I think it probably helps that their players have kind of they're pretty united group on. They've been together for like three years, whereas Everton feels it's always been a kind of mishmash and the kind of the constant rotation that we've had. Say last time we were in it, I think it was kind of to our detriment in the league as well, but. Um, in terms of the season, I don't think it's over. I just think, obviously, the fact we've lost to a team near us in the league gives them a leg up as well. So it's going to be hard, but something to aim for still. Yeah, no, I, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, it'll be interesting. It'll be interesting to see how the season ends. But to get back into Ancelotti for a bit as we talk about some of the, the latest Everton news, obviously, after the game, there were some comments on Ancelotti made by Miguel Delaney. Um, you know, uh, it, it was, you know, there's a Twitter thread last night that includes Royal Blue Mercy's um, account. So if you want to go check that out. Um, but basically, he calls Ancelotti's ideas outdated, points out just four league titles in 20 years with some of the richest clubs in each league. And that if his, um, you know, his resume was as good as, um, as, as everybody says it is, he'd be at a bigger club than Everton now. Um, Matthew, we'll start with you. Yeah, I think I think you know I think it's this is pretty. Um, I don't think any of us would agree with this. Um, but what are your thoughts, kind of, on the whole thing? Um, well, I mean, I put this on the agenda because I just thought, yeah, whether or not you agree with what you said, it's certainly like a talking point. Mm-hmm. And the my issue, the issue that I took with it is that I mean, for starters, one of the things that he also said was that uh, Ancelotti has been responsible for some bad games, Evan, which I guess is, t- is technically true in that he picks the team, but I would, there's none of those games I would say, you know, it's his fault Evan lost, you know, 4 0 to Chelsea or lost to Liverpool's under 23s or, you know, lost to a really average Tottenham side last night, you know. Um, it, and it kind of. Um, I think the thing is, you know, I don't buy this idea that I think he was trying to get across that Ancelotti hasn't actually done that well and that he's kind of done what he expected of him and no more. Because if you look at how how kind of bloated parts of the squad are and how thin other parts are and how sort of substandard it is as well. I think Ancelotti, like, yeah, they are st- we are still in the bottom half, which is where Ancelotti picked us up. But we look... 
for the most part, we still look a more solid team. We still look a more uh, potent team than we did under Marco Silva. Um, and yeah, I just think this kind of this idea that it's, it's so black and white that because there's no we've not shot up the league um, means he hasn't really made an impact is is just kind of baseless. And I think it. Look, I don't know how much of Everton he's watched, but it kind of just smacked me as someone who hasn't really watched Everton regularly enough to, to say either way. Because I think if you watch us, say, in a lot of the home games under Ancelotti, or you know the Watford game when we came 2 0 down, you can see there is a bit more sort of, there has been a bit more sort of mental steeliness about Everton since he arrived. Um, but no, I just thought it was worth talking about because that's kind of a barometer on how well a job you think he's doing and whether you think uh, Miguel's comments were kind of justified about Ancelotti. Tom? Yeah, I. I yeah, I think I think the reality was that um, he saw Ancelotti was trending on Twitter. Everyone was talking about Everton. He'd written this article and thought it was a good time to. I mean, he wrote it in December. Again. Sorry, Tom. He wrote it in December. It wasn't. It wasn't yeah, so it was a good chance to bring it forward and, and refresh yeah. it and get a January, few more to read it. Yeah. Um, but it, his argument that this was why Everton was struggling as it doesn't just didn't stack up for me. Um, I, I think there are some valid points made when you look at Ancelotti's record. There are suggestions, I've read it before, that maybe he's not quite done as well as won as many league titles as he, sh- as he should. But to suggest that that is the reason why, and he is, as you say, he's had some bad results. I think that was the quote he said, wasn't he? He's had some bad results or some yeah. bad games. He's, he's been responsible for some bad games. Which is, yeah, that's, that's totally wrong they say look at the games we've lost the, the the two that stand out obviously last night were we were really poor but then again Spurs were poor it's just a bad game all around and obviously the, the the FA Cup derby which was yeah again atrocious but Ancelotti was only in the job up to yeah. by that point um he's made us a lot better I think before last night his record in the since taking charge we we're in the top four or five we're winning games we're looking much more better at the back scoring more goals so he just to suddenly say that his his tactics are outdated are uh, completely wrong. He may we may well in the long term turn out to be right. He may it may not work, but I think his argument using that last night as evidence just didn't quite work. I think it was just he wanted to get a few more eyeballs on the article he'd written in January, um, but then yeah. didn't quite um, work out. You'd get the response he did because the <laughs> Evertonians he politely. <laughs> Politely pointed out the uh, the flaws in his argument. Yeah, and also I think Barca has only won four league titles in twenty years with you know the richest clubs in respectively. You know that that is true. You can't you can't deny that. But also, Carlo Ancelotti does not have to win the league at Everton to be a success. Mm. You know, if he gets us, I don't, if he gets higher than eighth, he's improved on last season. You know. If he gets into the Champions League, he's taking us forward. You know, it's not this. I don't subscribe to this kind of binary thing of you know, you got, you either do this and you're success, or you don't do it and you're a failure. It's more kind of flexible than that. I think. And also the the fact that you know, just because he comes to Everton is is a sort of reflection on his sort of diminishing standing as in you know the football world as a manager. Which is kind of, I mean, why can't Everton attract? someone that prestigious you know 
and you know, yeah. just strikes me as like you know we really have to be cynical about everything. Can we not? Could, could it not just be that Ancelotti, you know, finds Everton an exciting prospect and, and you know a kind of job that he hasn't done before? Yeah, you know, and yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, last night was the exception. It wasn't the rule under Ancelotti being a lot better than that for the most part. Yeah, and and I think. Um, you know, him more, more so than even other managers. I know we say this every time a manager comes in, but I think him more so than any other manager, he needs the right players. Um, obviously, any manager needs the right players, but I think it stands out specifically for him because clearly he has a way of, you know, the way he wants to play. And, and it is working in some senses, but he needs a couple more players to be injected into the squad to take it to that next level. And, and also just on the league trophy thing, um, it's like the typical cookie cutter stats, you know, he's only won four league trophies, but he's won 20 trophies over his 20 years um, with clubs. So, you know, it's not, he may have only won four league titles, but he's also, you know, won champions league titles, European titles. uh, You know, I think if he were to bring us one trophy, whether it be an FA cup, uh, a league cup, anything, I think um, that would be even more of a success. But like Matthew said, even champions league is, is just an improvement on what we've, what we've seen. And, um, you know, I think it's, you know, I think we all agree that it's, you know, to, to judge him on, on last night's defeat or, or some of the defeats is, is a little harsh for sure. Um, really the only other news this week um, for Everton, um, really not for Everton, but something involving Everton was obviously um, the Dixie Dean statue. Uh, Flair was placed under the arm of the statue with smoke pouring out of it on Monday. Um, Everton issued a statement saying, Everton is assisting Merseyside police, Merseyside police with inquiries in relation to a flare ignited on the Dixie Dean statue outside Goodison Park. We encourage anyone with information relating to this disappointing and disrespectful incident to contact Merseyside, Merseyside police following inspection and cleaning of the memorial and the site. We can thankfully confirm no permanent damage has been done to the statue of our greatest ever goal scorer or the floor tributes laid at the foot of the statue. Um, Obviously, we talked about this a little bit last week, Matthew. Um, obviously, Tom, you were not on here with us, but uh, we talked a little bit about the Liverpool celebrations and kind of how they've directed some of their celebrations towards Everton. Um, any real thoughts on this and, you know, kind of how uh, this has played out? Just another terrible incident uh, added on to some other terrible incidents. Yeah, it's just the hope and, and certainly the, the noise coming out of Liverpool has been quite quick to try and, Condemic because it needs to be stopped fairly quickly. Like there's things like you know holding up flags and outside the ground or whatever. Even even a bit of graffiti on the stadium, which is still wrong. But the the line there was the fact that it was a flare above, like where there was flowers and memorials to, to fans, which you know is is there's there's a line there and it's over with. So it just needs to, to stop because the risk is you know we can't start sit here and say that all our fans are perfect either. So. In, in, the more instances like this happen, the more chances are there's going to be tit for tat replies and whenever anything happens next time. And to be honest, that's the sort of thing that rarely in the past has happened between Everton and Liverpool fans. You know, at the games on the pitch, you know, there were bigger rivals at any, but but generally you know, outside of that, you know, they talk about the friendly derby and um, you know, you get more friends who are Liverpool fans and you can walk around in the city and be red or blue and it doesn't really matter. So. They just maybe maybe it is just a, a younger generation that are doing it. I don't know. I don't know what it was. Certainly, the the lad who was firing the fireworks in the library building was was a young lad. Maybe they just don't remember 
what kept brought the, the two fans together in, in you know decades past. I don't know, but it's just something they need to snuff out quite quickly because, and also you know they've they've, they've won the league. Just just enjoy it. Why do they have to go and do stuff like this? You know, um, I think I saw a few fans, Everton fans on Twitter, are saying like, you know, if Everton won even the league cup, they'd be so drunk for days they wouldn't be able to do anything like this. They'd probably just be emerging now. You know, so we we'd just be enjoying ourselves. And having, <laughs> Just, just enjoy it. Just, you know, you've waited for a long time. Yeah, you know, there's just no need to do it because it's not what you know the rival is all about. Um, and say, so hopefully, they do catch whoever it was. And I think as well, it's um, uh, there's obviously the incidents last week, which uh, you know, with the with the flare at the library building and, and the uh, the fireworks, sorry, and then obviously the crowds at the pierhead, uh, which obviously caused a massive amount of litter as well as just the fact that so many people gathered during. A, global pandemic um i read a statement after that from the spirit of shankly um supporters group um and there's a similar one from liverpool um liverpool football club on their website and neither of them really kind of condemned what happened it was more just a, a listing of kind of reeling off of the fact and you know saying that you know investigations will be carried out or whatever but there was no real sort of throwing the book at the people who have done it. And I feel like this is a consequence of that, maybe to a point that, you know, if you don't, if you don't come out and, you know, definitively, um, you know, tell these people uh, who keep doing this, how, how much they're tarnishing Liverpool as a club more than anything, then I feel like it will just, it will just fester and carry on and it'll ruin it for, because, you know, you said this last week, but I know local fans, who are fine and who are, you know, perfectly pleasant people. I'm sure Tom does as well. And it's them who I kind of feel sorry for in all of this because, um, you know, they've waited 30 years for this as well. Kind of, I guess it's kind of tainted by you know, the idiocy of a small minority. And also it kind of, I mean, Gino, you might not be uh, so aware of this, but yeah. you feel like there's a kind of stigma towards Liverpool as a city from from people say in London who haven't who haven't been to Liverpool before kind of have this kind of outdated view that you know they're all sort of, uh, kind of uh, working class sort of benefits cheats or whatever which and you know there's a lot of people who do a lot of good in Liverpool to try and um, sort of not clear the city's name because it doesn't need clearing but just to try and enhance its reputation I guess. Um, and I just feel like these people undermine that and kind of play right into the stereotype that certain people in England might still have of Liverpool, which is really, you know, it's obviously unfair on those who work so hard. Yeah, no, no I think that's, that's a great point. It, it undid a lot of the, the hard work to try and um, alter that perception. And ultimately that costs everyone in the city, like everyone in Liverpool, red or blue. And it just, yeah, that, that just, just really didn't help because... Yes, it's a minority, but it, it affects everyone, and it just gave ample ammunition for people to use those lazy stereotypes again. And yeah, so it just it just really didn't help. So uh, that's where, as you say, the really, Liverpool really need to act and come down hard on these people and try and nip it in the bud now, um, because otherwise it'll get worse. I think uh, so. So they, yeah, they do need a response because it's not going to benefit anyone to say it'll cost it'll cost Liverpool as well because. It's just more negative headlines the city didn't need um, and allow people just to make, make more accusations about them that aren't true. 
And I'm glad Everton came out with the statement about it so swiftly as well. I think it was it was last night, wasn't it? It was I don't know if it's before the game or after the game, but it's certainly a few hours after it happened. It wasn't sort of days or anything like that. Yeah. yeah. So um Peter Moore as well was tweeting as well, was being yeah quite strong on it as well. Um But so. yeah, I mean Everton I mean calling it dis- disappointing, disrespectful is you can't really say anything other than that, can you? So mm-hmm. yeah. um well done to Evan for, you know, releasing a very sort of to the point statement so quickly after it happened. Yeah. No, absolutely, absolutely. It's a, uh, yeah, those exact words to, it's disappointing and, and disrespectful and hopefully uh, it gets under wraps quickly because you guys are right. You know, if it doesn't get nipped in the bud quick, it, it could just get worse or it could result in other things that the city um, does not want to see for sure. And, and I'm sure neither football clubs do either. Um, Moving on to the preview of the next match that we will play, which will be uh, Thursday, July 9th at 6 p.m. British Standard Time. That's 1 p.m. over here on the East Coast in America. Um, previous meeting between these two sides, it's uh, Everton and Southampton. Um, Everton won the match 2-1. Uh, that was back in November. Um, Southampton's previous result was a one nothing win over Man City this past Sunday. They're currently sitting in 13th place on 43 points after 33 games. Um, you know, decent form. Decent form since uh, returning. They have three three wins and, and one loss since returning the one loss to Arsenal um, a couple weeks back. Let's start with, uh, you know, uh, Everton. Any changes you guys like to see Ancelotti make as we go into this one? I, I, I'd like to hear what you guys think. I, I think I have one, but uh, Matthew, let's start with you. Uh, I think probably the more obvious one is is to give Anthony Gordon another go. Uh, he hasn't really put a foot wrong um, since Premier League returned. And obviously Sigurdsson and Bernardo, I think, has been really disappointing in the last few games. Neither of them have really staked a claim to take his place on the wing. Um I mean, in, the central midfield is is a real sort of quandary because you can say you take Sigurdsson out, and you know the performance he put in last night, you know, was deserving of being dropped. But then the only other real central midfielder we've got is Benny Beningame. He's still young, and I don't get the impression Ancelotti particularly trusts him because we haven't seen any of him in these uh, four games so far. So. I would I would think probably it will be Sigurdsson and Gomez again, to be honest. Um, mm-hmm. Because, again, Tom Davies hasn't done enough either. Um, I mean, Southampton kind of, they set up a similar way to us, don't they? They have 4-4-2, they kind of play through the channels and, and got a very uh, prolific goal scorer this season, Danny Ings. So, um, I mean, they're quite a quick team as well, which... It's kind of Everton's kryptonite this season, isn't it? So, um, whether putting Gordon on the on the wing and maybe moving Sigurdsson and Gomez in midfield will help, and I don't know, but um, I think Gordon has to play. I think I would say Europa League is not over, but obviously, the, the more distant that becomes as a possibility, I think you're more vindicated in playing youngsters like Gordon or, or even Bedingame. Um, you know, you know. I don't know about Holgate if he's fit, but maybe put Holgate in midfield and, and 
be Gavieri Mina and Michael Keane go. I know they're not a great partnership, but it's just a case of needs most really, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I think it's worth experimenting with. Um, yeah, I don't know what Holgate's fitness is, but he said the midfield at the moment, it's, yeah, it's like shifting the deck chairs on the Titanic. It's like which one, which combination is going to fail this week. So he's, I don't know if he's got anything to lose in that respect. I think Holgate did play midfield a couple of times, I think under Ferguson, I think maybe when we were, we were pretty short and he, he did okay. United, United game. My United, United, yeah. Way, yeah. Um, so I think it's, yeah, if he's fit, that's probably worth worth a go. Um, I say Gordon has to come in, just a bit more pace and dynamism. Um, and yes, yeah, see, see where, where that takes us. If not, as you say, I think probably stick with, yeah, maybe Sigurdsson and then Gomez in midfield. Um, obviously start a Wobie as well. Um, I, I think it'd be a tough game. I don't know if you saw the Man City game on Sunday, but Southampton's defending was ridiculous because City were just it was just relentless at times. But they, you know, they put, got the heads and everything, blocks, tackles. Whether it's taken a lot out of them, possibly. Um, you know, it was a big game. They may, you know, um, not be as up for it as as they were on Sunday. But yeah, it's going to be a, another tough one. But we are generally we're better at home. Um, we you know as we start well. I get the impression. If we go ahead in games, I'm confident that Ancelotti is good at classic Italian, really, at seeing out and holding on to leads. I think Leicester was the classic example last week. Um, it's when we fall behind, particularly early on, that I think we just can't seem to change the mindset. So I think he'll probably put Gordon in, want to start on the front foot and try and get ahead early. And then if he can, then you know I'd, I'd be confident we could hold on for, for a win. I don't think we're going to get loads of goals, but certainly a 1-0, 2-1. Would, I, would either of you start Beningamy? Depends on his fitness. I've, you know, he's not played yeah. for how long. I have no idea. Like when when he's played last time he played for it was what a couple of years ago. Allardyce. Yeah, then And he did he did okay then, but he's he's obviously had his injury problems. So yeah. it's yeah, only Ancelotti and the the, tra- the coaching staff will know how fit he is. Uh, if he is fit, and he, he reckon he could at least get a half out of him. Why not give it a go? Because we've tried everyone else. Yeah, well, that's I uh, kind of with you, Matthew. I feel like if he was ready or Ancelotti trusted him. I feel like he would have played already just because of the lack of options we have in the midfield, but we haven't seen him. He hasn't gotten any time at all, not even a substitution. Um, so um, I, I can't see, I, I kind of trust the coaching staff on this one where it's like, if they don't believe he's ready or they don't trust him, then I don't know if he's, especially with the midfield problems that we've been having. And I think that's pretty evident. Um, I can't see any reason why they would, you know, why, why he would make any difference or, or I don't know. It's a tough one to call, but I feel like he would have gotten a go already um, if, if they believed in him and believed he could have added something. Um, on Anthony Gordon, obviously, I think I agree. I agree. He's got to be the one change. I think, he, I think I saw something earlier on Twitter saying he has the most chances created out of any Everton player since the restart, which is amazing in itself because he has not played nearly as much minutes as some of the other players. and. Um, you know, obviously, it's it kind of speaks to the woes that Everton have creating, uh, you know, from certain areas and creating in the final third. But um, let's talk about Southampton a little bit before we get to um, predictions. Um, what's your guys' thoughts on them? Obviously, Tom, you mentioned it a little bit, but thoughts on Southampton this season since the restart, kind of how they've been playing recently. Uh, I like I like Ralph Hasselhoff. Ralph Hasselhoff kind of can speak. Um, I think the Southampton board need credit for not panicking when they got 
absolutely trounced by Leicester um, in the autumn when they weren't great and they were struggling. Even when we beat them, I think they were near the bottom, definitely in the relegation zone. But he, they, they've shown patience and uh, he's turned it around. And yeah, I, I think I really like them. I think they've got um, two good centre-halves. Um, there's Holberg as well, who might be coming back to fitness tomorrow uh, and on Thursday, who we've been linked with. Um, and so, yeah, Danny Ings has just had a um, fantastic season. So, yeah, no, I really like them. And I think they can go above us with a win to, on Thursday. So, um, yeah, they're, they're, they're a pretty good team. I think it's going to be a, a tough game. They're, they're kind of a funny team, though, because they they have the second worst home record. Obviously, we beat them narrowly in, in November, just after that 9-0 uh, defeat. But they have the... Like the fifth best away record, and they've won. They've said they've won the two games since uh, the restart that they played away from St Mary's. Um, so I don't know. It's it's a kind of it's a weird trait, I guess, to be so much better without your without your own fans than than with them. And I, I don't know whether that plays into their hands kind of now with with no fans in the stadiums. Whether they're just naturally you, it's you know better. Better kind of to face, you know, when there's less of a Samson crowd there. Um, but you know, I, th- I think it's kind of a, a victory for sticking with your manager as well, because it'd be very easy to sack Hasenhuel after they lost nine nil. And also looking at their early season results, they got battered at home to Bournemouth. They got they lost three nil home to Burnley. So you know, they're really in a mess um, in like October, November, and. Seems to really turn it around. Obviously, got a goal scorer, which which is vital when you're sort of down the bottom. Um, but yeah, I think I think this is a dangerous game for Everton. To be honest, I think maybe a few weeks ago you might have looked at it and said it's it could be a comfortable three points. But the way we played last night and the way Southampton played against Man City, especially, um, I think that Southampton probably got a bit of confidence. To be honest. Yeah, it'll it'll be an interesting match. I think it'll be a it's certainly a tough match. Um, obviously, they've been playing well since the restart. Um, I don't know. I, I don't really know how to call this one. I like again. I think we were pretty optimistic about the Tottenham match, uh, and that obviously didn't go go in our favor. But uh, let's get into predictions. Um, Tom, we'll start with you. What are you thinking? I know I think you mentioned it before, but give it to us again. Uh, yeah, can I? Will we keep a clean sheet? No, I'll go two one. Everton again. Matt? Should be a good result. Um, I, don't, I don't think we'll win this one. Maybe one more. And also, Southampton have had an extra day's rest because they played Sunday and we played Monday, which may seem kind of like nitpicking. But I guess at the moment, the players probably aren't like at 100% match fitness. Um, well, not all of them, maybe. And kind of playing so many games in such a short space of time, I think probably an extra 24 hours makes a big difference um, so so that could with the fact that they seem to be in a better place than we do uh, certainly of the last game anyway I think might be a frustrating one this forever yeah yeah I, I agree Matthew I think a draw um, probably 1-1 is, is probably the result um, it'll be a tough match for sure um, but we'll see Thursday. We'll we'll, uh, we'll we'll see how everything come out. See if they they come out and in better shape than they did last match against Tottenham. Hopefully, fingers crossed. Um, should be a good one. Tom, thanks so much for joining me and Matthew. 
Um, Matthew, thanks for joining me as always. Uh, to everybody out there, we'll be back after the Southampton match. Um, so we'll talk to you guys then. Have a good one.